Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fabrication Friday podcast. Um, I'm your host, Joe Fairley, owner of Ascent Fabrication. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been into the Fabrication Friday podcast, but uh, for very good reason. Um, we've had a lot of community involvement over the past couple of weeks, um, getting out to the Saratoga County Chamber of Commerce Business to Business Expo event here in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, you know, collaborating and meeting a lot of newer uh, local uh, businesses that we could uh, do some work with, um, as well as the New York State Innovation Summit uh, put on by FuseHub. That was an awesome event last week, um, getting to hear from a lot of local big companies um, that are doing some wonderful work in a lot of different fields. Um, it was nice to be able to, again, get out into our local community and meet a broader community here in New York State um, for what is going on in an innovative sense. Um, you know, not necessarily has to be into 3D printing, but there were quite a few, um, you know, 3D printing companies there at the event. Um, so that was kind of nice to get to mingle around with a few different 3D printing companies. A um, couple new ones that I met, um, Lithos. Lithos is from Austria. Um, they do a lot of ceramic 3D printing, actually, um, and they have a, their U.S. base here in, I believe it's Troy, New York. So uh, they're basically our next door neighbors. Um, definitely want to check out what they've got going on with ceramic 3D printing, because that could be pretty interesting. Have some uh, cool medical applications for um, potentially some implants. I think there might even be implants already out there 3D printed um, by ceramics. So some cool people there at Lithos. Um, there were a couple other companies um, not strictly solely focused on building 3D printers or um, only focused on 3D printing, but having 3D printing as part of their business. Um, one of the other uh, companies that we talked with was Inisec. Uh, Inisec and John Kappel, the owner over there, um, him and I really resonated pretty pretty closely right off the bat, um, You know, just being a few hours west of us here in, in upstate New York. Um, he's out in Buffalo and uh, doing the same type of, you know, design for additive manufacturing techniques, working a, with a lot of engineering grade materials. Um, so I've asked him to come on the podcast today and pretty excited to have him on. Um, so hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast and stay tuned. Thanks everyone for listening into the Fabrication Friday podcast again. Uh, today, I've got a pretty special guest with me, Mr. John Kappel of Inisec. Uh, pretty excited to have him on. He is semi-local to me here uh, in, uh, I would say, still upstate New York, but uh, way out west in, in Buffalo. Is that right, John? Yeah, 716. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for coming on. We, we had met at the uh, New York State Innovation Summit put on by mm -hmm. Fuse Hub. Um, what was that? Just over a week ago. Like uh, a week ago. 
Yeah, it seems like it's almost been a month since that, that amount of time has gone by, honestly, but uh, still catching yeah. up. Yeah, trying to keep busy. And uh, so thanks for coming on. Great to meet you there at the Innovation Summit. Sounds like we have kind of a lot in common with what we're doing. So yeah, uh, do you mind introducing yourself and uh, what InnoSec is? Yeah, I'm a joke. Absolutely. So yeah, awesome. Ditto. Thanks for having me on. Um, and I was following your journey, you know, months even a year before we actually met in person. So the work that you guys are doing over there is awesome. Um, I really appreciate it. And I think that the work that you guys are doing is adding to, you know, benefiting all of us 3D printers around. Um, so thanks for having me on to kind of share a little bit more. Uh, yeah, so my name is John Kappel. I'm a Buffalo-based uh, entrepreneur and owner of InnoSec, or an additive manufacturing service provider. So contract manufacturing um, geared mostly towards B2B companies, helping them really hand-holding through the entire additive process from designing specifically for additive manufacturing to uh, working with them to identify what their part and material needs are, pairing it with the right technology and material, uh, and then producing parts up to uh, wherever it really breaks even with injection molding is is kind of our our volume. Nice, man. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for that, uh, you know, gracious uh, kudos there at the beginning. And, um, you know, so with with everything you got going on there at Insec, uh, B2B, you know, what does that look like for you in your day to day? Um, are you are you dealing with like large scale companies, smaller local companies? What does that look like for you guys over the years? Yeah. Um... Shoot, I can tell you the the beginning of our business was geared ultimately towards the product developers and the inventors, you know, the individuals with the big ideas that are looking for a way to get into the market uh, easily and kind of get some some tweaks along the way. Um, but what we learned relatively quickly is that if we wanted to scale a company and a business, um, we need to target big players. And that's ultimately where we started to make the shift into B2B sales. Um, of parts. So prior now, primarily 70% of our business is with large scale manufacturing or engineering firms, other contract manufacturers. <clears throat> and 30% is going to be product developers, consumers, people that are looking to invent new products. Mm -hmm. um, and we do a lot more uh, handholding and, and prototyping uh, processing for them for the, the consumer-based products to really just get them to validate their products a lot faster using 3D printing. Nice, man. So how did you initially get started with Inisec? Uh, were you printing before Inisec? Was was there a precursor in school or something? Or how'd that come to yeah. be about? I wish. I wish. <laughs> um, growing, yeah, growing up in the middle of New York State, my school didn't even have a football team. So we definitely didn't have a 3D printing lab. Um, but I wish we did. You know, I wasn't even exposed to it until I graduated college. I was actually uh, like a year and a half removed from college at that point. Uh, and I was living in Boston, Massachusetts. And I started my first startup, which was a software company um, that just allowed you to find events around you. So I've always kind of been entrepreneurial. I had a, a house painting business in college before that. Um, and as I was over in Massachusetts, I really just missed Buffalo. And I had a couple friends that were a uh, college roommate of mine and a buddy that were starting a, uh, at the time, it was a storefront. And it was basically a 3D printed storefront where company or people would come in, get parts made, get, you know, services done on their 3D printers, they get design work, they'd get 3D prints done. Um, and I think that business was 
like 10 years ahead of its time. You know, I think like in 10 years, maybe 20 years where people start to have 3D printers in their homes pretty readily, um, you know, to get that to the masses, that type of storefront is going to be really, really popular. Um, but at that point in time, it was failing pretty bad because, you know, how much how much money you need to make to keep the lights on of an actual storefront business um, right. far outweighs the amount of money people are willing to pay to get their doorknob replaced by a 3D printer, for example. Um, so I was moving back to Buffalo at the same time that that company was kind of, um, you know, finding an inflection point, we'll say. And I was asked to join on as the business side and take operations. So once I joined in 20. You know, 18, um, January 1, 2019, we closed that business and and pivoted directly into InnoSec. Um, and yeah, match made in heaven. B2B has been the sweet spot for us. Uh, there's just so many great, you know, there's great mechanical and industrial applications of 3D printing is such a perfect application as long as you can find the right technology and material to you know fit your needs. Uh, it kind of fit into the process of manufacturing perfectly already. Um, so we, we just grown from there. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. I mean, with, with where FDM printing has come in the last even five to eight years, um, you know, I've been printing since 2015 and there's definitely been a, um, an increase in quality on the low end printers, as I'm sure, you know, I've seen a couple of your printers, one that you brought there to the summit and done some modifications on, um, you know, but these low end consumer printers are, are becoming pretty powerful tools that, uh, you know, not just, you know, rapid prototyping, but, you know, getting into production level status, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, how did, how many uh, printers did you say that you had again? Yeah, so our breakdown, so we have 45 uh, FDM printers, five, four resin printers, two form labs, two just like any cubics, um, and then we have one SLS machine. So 50 in total. Um, our outputs, like, you know, we really like a thousand parts a day off of just FDM, you know, depending on size. Right. Um, but you're right, you know, 100%. It's like why we picked the desktop FDM, you know, machine was that we were looking at the market and looking at these companies like Shapeways um, and Shapeways competitors. And if you look at their their balance sheets um, and their P&L statements, which you can find online, they're losing $35 million a year. Yeah. $35 million a year they're losing. And yeah. when you piece the, when, when I, me knowing the industry, just kind of putting the pieces together, they're buying these $150,000 machines to do the same thing that we're getting the same quality and accuracy off of our $1,000, you know, machines that we're buying off, you know, off the, the retail website and just modifying the hell out of. Right, right. We spend a lot of time on the slicer settings and stuff, but, you know, it just, yeah. you're right. It's the machines are, great and if you know what you're doing you put some time into experimenting with them you can really make some awesome and use production parts for sure yeah i mean i think i heard you say at the innovation summit you know the design for additive manufacturing approach right so you're you're mm -hmm. thinking about how you're going to be printing those parts you might have to modify the design slightly of some of these parts that we're getting from from consumers or b2b you know making it more printable uh from fdm standards and yeah, the materials are getting a little bit better uh, as long as your slicer settings are, you know, on point, which I know that you and I have spent thousands of countless hours that we don't even want to admit. So many hours. Um, you know, just staring at prints uh, going around, you know, and um, trying to fine tune those print settings in order to come up with, you know, really engineering grade parts coming out of these FDM mm -hmm. consumer level printers. Um 
you know, so tell me a little bit about the printer that you use, how you, if you'd like to share about how you modified it, what kind of materials you use as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, dude, when we were growing the business right out of the basement, um, the first thing we did was we bought pretty much every single hobbyist desktop 3D printer that was on the market at that point in time. Um, and we would we would study. We knew that there was a couple key factors that we wanted to go through when we were looking. It's what has the sturdiest frame, what's the most easily easily upgradable, and what's open source. So with those three things, we were able to know that we could take the bones of what the printer already had and pretty much just build it ourselves um, mm -hmm. with all the replacement parts. So I mean, key things that we've done is just like upgrade the bed, upgrade the hot end, turn it to direct drive, reinforce the frame, um, you know, things like that. We've modified and created our own firmware. So we've we've developed some things within the firmware itself, which are pretty useful for calibrations and such. Nice. And um, and then a lot of it is on the the slicer settings. So once you kind of have the the printer a hundred percent, then it's the slicer settings. Um, and the one thing that we were doing when we were making our printers was we needed to make sure that this printer was a universal printer. So it could print everything from TPUs to carbon fiber reinforced nylon 12. You know, we wanted everything in between to really just have it be one solid piece. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like incremental steps. You know, every time you introduce a brand new material to your, your machine, um, you got to replay with those settings and you learn a whole bunch of new stuff. Um, that's where we learned like, you know, year one, that if we wanted to print TPU, uh, we needed to go to direct drive, you know, just simple, simple like that. That's right. But that's what you learn. Every time there's a new material, you you learn about, you know, maybe special pieces of hardware that are going to help you make that possible or settings that are going to make that possible. Um, and it's a blend of all three. It's the firmware, the, the hardware and the software. Sure. Sure. So with the, I guess, Getting into some of the nitty gritty, the the firmware there uh, is it that based on Marlin, RepRap, um, Clipper? What do you what are you guys into? Uh, Marlin, Marlin was the the OG. Um, we've since been fooling around a lot with. Um, yeah, I can't even think of it. The the I can't even think of what the slicer the the firmware we've been playing with now. It's been um, like a couple months since we've had to. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the logo is on our on our printer. Um, yeah. But yeah, it all started with Marlin. And then as um, everybody and their mother started joining the 3D printing industry, there's just more opportunities to keep your eyes open to what's better out there. Mm -hmm. um, so forums have been great and just really doing the research and playing around. Um, we love firmware was the biggest challenge to really understand because um, as mechanical guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, the firmware is a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest obstacle to really understand how to modify firmware um, to make it do what we wanted it to. Mm -hmm. um, and we needed to find a firmware that was built off of a system that allows you to, to do that. So it started with Marlin. And then as other people started developing their own, we would pick up theirs and, and modify those as well. Gotcha. Nice. So did you go ahead and uh, specifically look for, um, you know, and hire someone who was specifically good in coding? Or did you, you know, learn some of that process along the way as well? Yeah, uh, both. So the first, the first couple handful of people that we have ever hired um, were good in all aspects or, or had some experience in all aspects. They were 3D printing hobbyists um, originally or, or tinkers, and they had this this research mindset. So they, you know, if we had a, a challenge or we knew there was an opportunity, they were the type of guys that would go in and and do the digging. 
and really figure out, um, you know, how to make it possible and then grow upon that and teach the team. So, you know, when you're a startup, everybody wears a lot of hats, plays a different roles. Cross training is, is super important. Um, just like education sharing and knowledge sharing is super important. So we were really keen on that, that everybody, you know, would have their hand in the industry news and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we'd have a roundtable discussion to really share those pretty openly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody kind of played a role in in their own knowledge, plus the learning of more firmware stuff that they could apply to the company. Right. Yeah. Having more minds, uh, understanding more parts of the business, I think is super effective, right? You know, being able to collaborate like that as a team and speaking from the same cloth when you, if you're talking about the printer settings, the firmware coding, um, you know, the, the materials that you're using or on the CAD side of things too, um, you know, being able to talk about all of those intelligently as, at once is definitely mm-hmm. Um, definitely a skill in itself, I think that, um, you know, just with more time of printing and, uh, you know, raising this educational bar around what can be and should be 3D printed by FDM, um, I think is super valuable. So, uh, you know, definitely mm-hmm. kudos to you to having that, you know, forward thinking of uh, bringing that up in your team. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, how, like what kind of projects, I guess, you guys have worked on in the past that, have you, you've seen that have been super effective for 3D printing specifically, uh, either yeah. in like, you know, again, maybe bringing a product to, to market or in maybe like a large numbers production status? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll share three projects that come to mind that are pretty cool. Um, the first one is uh in Buffalo, or where we're located, uh, we have the Buffalo Museum of Science, and we've been working on this project for uh, two, maybe like six months now or so. And and they have this one display, an interactive display, where children will come and like, well, I guess anybody can. It's designed for kids. They'll pump up um, pressure and press a button, and a rocket will shoot all the way to the ceiling and hit a bell. Right. Cool. Um, but originally when they made this, when they had this um, display made, the company that did it pretty much just used like foam noodles, like pool noodles to create the rocket. Okay. Uh, and it worked and it worked well, but they wanted to really elevate that after having that for, you know, 10 years. Um, so they contracted us to redesign that rocket and 3D print it and see, uh, you know, how that works, um, which came with its own challenges because there's a lot of weight uh you know, when you're launching stuff into the air and landing it, there's a lot of forces. There's a lot of forces going up. There's a lot of forces coming down. And that's all stuff that we had to work out um, during prototyping, really. And and what that came down to is the material. Mm-hmm. So we we designed, we redesigned this rocket actually to look like a Bell Aerospace rocket, um, which Bell Aerospace was a, an aerospace manufacturer here in Buffalo back in the day. Okay. So we made a rocket that was modeled after one of their actual rockets, um, 3D printed it in TPU, super light infill, you know, kind of controlling everything that we, you know, the, the quick things that you can control. Right. Um, so we 3D printed that and found that, yeah, you know, if we did a TPU, um, when it lands, it's going to compress and that's going to be good because you want that kind of um, compression when you're landing mm-hmm. um, and when it makes it more lightweight when you're shooting it. Um, but what we were learning is that the there's actually the forces were too strong, and when it was landing, it was smushing everything together and destroying the layer lines and pretty much blowing up the whole entire rocket. <laughs> um, okay. And and let alone this thing needs to get shot off like 
thousands of times, right? Um, you know, before they before they replace it, which ultimately they knew. Um, so we turned to VarioShore, which is a, a sick yeah. material. I know you use it, yeah. um, but it, it's it adjusts that was it baking soda inside of it or something that just a, allows for the different foaming agents depending on the different temperatures that you print it at. So we we're like, shoot, we can like make something that's really cushiony and kind of similar to a pool noodle, right? Um, and we used that and. Yeah, we had the same thing happen. Um, it was a little bit better. It lasted a little bit longer, but not something we were happy with. Um, and just recently, uh, the conclusion of this whole thing, um, how it ended was we 3D printed the skin in VarioShore okay. and then filled it with spray foam. Oh, okay. So so we reinforced it with um, like, like insulating foam that's super light, just some open cell foam. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's being tested right now and so far so good. So uh, something that's key is like 3D printing alone isn't going to do it. You know, use that as the create your structure and then get a little bit of innovation in you. Um, sure. So by kind of con combining some of these things, we're able to create a really sick solution. Um, the next one I would say was um, a cool product that's... Uh, there's a problem inside of restaurants, right? And I don't know if it's a problem, but there's certain drinks that need to be shaken mm -hmm. that don't really need to be shaken, like Moscow mules and margaritas. And like, you know, it's not like a super handcrafted, complicated beverage. Sure. There should be an easier way to dispense that to somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. So this company hired, this company makes margarita mix in a keg for like to be put on draft okay. or to put on a tap, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the issue is, is that you can't ship alcohol across the country so yeah. they have they need to have a way to get the alcohol inside of the keg of mix that they're they're selling right um, and they contracted us to hire and prototype and manufacture the first thousand of these funnels so we developed this funnel that that locks into the the keg um, allows the air out and allows people to, to pour their alcohol in um, so we worked on that and did the first thousand uh prototypes before they went to injection mold and probably went through like eight design iterations um, of that yeah. product before it went to market. Um, and now like you'll find them all throughout California at Padre stadium and all these games, you know, it's, you can find um, margarita mix and, and Moscow mules on draft. Yeah. Um, they signed yeah. a deal with Delaware North here in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and that was just a super, a super rewarding project and we were able to do um you know thousands of units for them really validate a lot faster that this is a product that can be possible and then their business sure. can move forward um, sure. and then injection sure. holded gotcha. and that you know that was just like a petg needed to be kind of durable um needed to not break as easily in case people dropped it um you know stuff like that and the last one i'd share is a cool project now because this customer actually just struck a deal with qvc um, and just got his first PO for 10,000 units cool. of a phone case that amplifies the audio. So uh, we've developed that and, and manufactured, you know, close to 100 different prototypes of this thing. Um, and, and you know, the last final prototype took it to QVC. And, you know, after that journey ended, got a deal for his first, you know, just one series of iPhone too. So think about after that, all the, yeah. the additional phones that come after. But um that was really prototyping. That was really interesting because we knew that phone cases are a special type of polycarbonate that are soft and, and flexible. Um, and there's no real material that mimics the, that, that type of um, 
their silicone polycarbonate mix uh, phone case. Hmm. So it was a, there was a struggle of really trying to get the proper properties um, of the phone needing it. So being able to 3D print different parts and different materials allowed us to find something that was comparable to what that um, what the material is of phone cases. Because with audio, the harder the walls are, the audio bounces off of those and it amplifies. But if it's softer, yeah, it actually absorbs it a little bit. Right. Um, the sound waves and and does it, it makes it dull. Right. So when we were prototyping with TPU, we were having that issue where the decibels were were really low because of the material. But if we did it in you know PLA, it would be really high. But you know, there's trade-off because how do you get the phone and if it's gonna break? Um, you yeah. know, there needs to be some flexibility. So all yeah. those things are things we worked at um, to to determine, you know, the validation, I guess, of the product. That's pretty neat, man. I mean, yeah, all, all three projects. I'd, I'd have questions in all three projects for sure. But um, I guess what you, what you've mentioned a couple times in those projects is like you know people coming to you with ideas about products that they want to come out with. And then, and then they go to injection molding or again, because of, I mean, do you see a, a huge uh, monetary, you know, difference, whereas would they still have any other benefit of continuing to get some of those parts printed by you? A hundred percent. Yeah. There's, there's certain parts that, um, they just need to be 3D printed for the way we're designing them. So for example, this phone case, right? We created a 3D printable model that, you know, he could have 3D printed the first, um, I think the break even point was like 1800 units, say, before it made sense to just buy the mold. Um, so, you know, that's an opportunity where, you know, yeah, if you wanted to sell the 3D printed version, we made a model that was 3D printed all in one. And that's because the internal structure had some geometry that could only be 3D printed. Mm -hmm. um, when ultimately he had a 10,000 order PO and decided, you know, they can't 3D print that economically and need to do injection molding, that model needed to be split into a, a two or three part mold. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the trade-off. Um, if they 3D printed it, you know, the, the mold cost would have been a little cheaper because they didn't need to break the model into three different pieces. Right. Um, but you know that's that's how how it goes. That's where 3D printing kind of validates it. You know, we we created the one version model um, that worked. Then they were able to kind of reverse engineer and dissect it to to make it an injection moldable. Okay. Um, but I've seen parts that have been breaking even with us up to five thousand units. Um, and again, it all depends on geometry and yeah um, size of part and stuff. But um, yeah, I've had I've had customers that have ordered, you know. 4,000, 5,000 units, just small little things because it makes way more sense economically mm -hmm. um, to, to do so that way. And, you know, yeah. if the materials are good and the the, the quality, the results, all you really care about, right? I, who, yeah. There are some people that get hung up in the process, but like, if you're getting a part that's accurate, looks good and works, you know, what, what does it matter? How, what's the process that it's made of? Right. Um, if it's Apple, if it's the same thing, right? Right. Um, so that's something that we're trying to push more of is that normalcy of production of 3D printed parts. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's with, with you and I being so hyper-focused on 3D printing specifically, mm -hmm. my question almost always is, well, why would you immediately go toward thinking injection molding after we've prototyped it specifically for 3D printing? Like if, we've, you know, if we're going about a design process that includes um design techniques that can only be 3d printed 
or if there's room to customize that product down the road, you know, any, anytime you include any kind of customization, you know, going for a mold is automatically going to be a little bit more cost prohibitive. So, yeah. you know, I just, I don't know that in, again, today's day and age with people's aversion for uh, 3D printing in large masses, I don't know that it's that much of a problem anymore. Um, you know, with, I agree. with having the, the type of printers that you have that you're able to scale up in, in pretty large numbers and have, you know, print farms, I don't see that as much different than having that, you know, huge warehouse of specialized equipment for injection molding. Um, but I do see a bigger, you know, problem with the injection molding side of things is that there's a, a much bigger capital expense for a company to try to get up and running like that, right? So mm -hmm. I think that, um, and especially for labor shortages and and wages, right? If we're If we're having you know, those types of um, pieces put into the equation for, you know, business owners like us, um, 3D printing makes way more sense if we're trying to start a business in this type of manufacturing space right now, rather than going any kind of injection molding. Um, you know, what's your take on that in terms of like, again, when you, when you mm -hmm. approach a customer about trying to convince them that they should be doing 5,000, 10,000 units with you, um, you know, what's your thought process when you're talking with them? Yeah, everything, everything we do is, is for the customer's benefit. Um, you know, and, and whether they know that or right, not, um, it's always the perception with them is what I've seen is that, you know, injection molding is what they know it's, it's tried and true. So it's always been there. So that's like where they kind of jump to first their mind. It's like, oh, I need to, the end goal is to get this thing mass manufactured with injection molding. And it, it doesn't matter um, if the if the part is functional and the material is right, you know, and, and the price is good. Um, we will push people to 3D print that as long as as much as possible, you know. So when we're doing our sales with customers, it's really important to capture a couple of different p key pieces of information um, about them. You know, we love to kind of get their thought about how they plan on finish ma finishing manufacturing or what what's in their mind about the manufacturing process that they believe will be best and why. Um, and then when you kind of understand why you can drill into, um, you know, what the real concern is and really it ends up being like, oh, this is all I know or price or, or quality. Mm -hmm. um, and all those things are achievable with 3D printing at some type of volume. Um, so it's really uh, for us understanding the goal of the customer. If this is, um, you know, if they ex ex plan to sell, you know, a couple thousand a year, um, and then it makes sense more so to 3D print that, you know, we're going to push them to 3D printing. Um, there is all there is a point, a type of product or a design or a, a volume that always makes sense to manufacture high um, and do something injection molding if cost is your you know biggest concern or, you know, you're not open to doing a really unique geometry. You don't have a unique geometry product. Right. Um, there's there's always that trade off. But yeah, like why why spend so much money up front? Uh, before you even know if people are going to really like be super interested in or know what the market is going to look like. Mm -hmm. um, so using 3D printing for us is like, yeah, we, most of what we do is production parts. So like 70 something percent last year was actually end use production parts that are being used in, in final goods and machines. Um, so if we can prove that and, and put some confidence within the customer and the consumer 
um, that these aren't, you know, 3D prints from five years ago. You know, this is advanced so quickly and they're so strong and durable and, and will do good work. If we can prove that um, and gain that credibility for the AM industry, um, mm -hmm. we'll start to see that. And, you know, shops like ours are going to be positioned, I think, so much better in the long term. by folk And, and because it, I think it makes sense perceptionally mm -hmm. um, to start with low volume and then grow up like, you know, injection molding companies that implement 3D printers start at high volume and then try to capture low volume. And I think there's such a little learning curve to 3D printing that that's going to be a huge challenge for them. Right. But um, 3D printing companies like ours can you know when it comes time and we keep seeing this growth within our customers when we really want to retain them instead of handing them off to our injection molding partners yeah we could buy an injection mold machine and there's so many injection molding people around right looking for jobs yeah, yeah. Uh, that that skill set isn't something that we need to learn ourselves we can just hire somebody to do it for for a good wage and um i think that's a a business model that's uh, geared for survival and like this huge impact in product development and manufacturing going forward. It's like starting with this, being able to capture all the volumes, like, you know, there shouldn't be a cap around volume. It's like, okay, right. yeah, we can do it all like one to a, a million, you know, right. or, you know whatever. Right. So that's kind of where I see uh, how this merger is going to happen um, mm -hmm. and kind of the play between injection mold and 3d printing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I had never really even considered the injection molding um, industry before I got into 3D printing, didn't know anything about it. Still, relatively, I wouldn't say that I'm well versed in the injection molding uh, industry in, in, in general. Um, you know, I know enough to understand why some people might want to go to injection molding, but um, you know, one one thing that I hear from some of our customers that are, again, used to seeing injection molded parts um, simply because there are absolutely more of those out there in the world right now. Um, people say, oh, well, you know, the layer lines, it doesn't look finished. Um, you know, again, I'll just leave it at that. What's your take on that when uh, when people come <laughs> with that, that comment? You know, perception, right? It's just like... Um... There will be a point in time where the 3D printed layer lines are normalized, right? Yeah. And I'm sure when injection molding first came out, everybody, you know, complained about the 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 line, right? The injection line that's around plastic parts. Like I'm sure there's there's always something that people are gonna pick at. Right. Um, I could say, you know, what we can do immediately to kind of combat that is uh, I don't know, decrease your layer height a little bit. You yeah. know, there's things we can do in the printer settings to really create a nice smooth finish. Um, some of the and black especially black dark gray there's colors that hide layer lines really really well sure um you know so instead of doing post-processing work which is always an option uh, we try to gear towards the preventative side of things yeah. so how how in tune can we get our settings to uh limit the the visibility of layer lines so mm -hmm. and you know white parts you're always going to see the layer lines because that's just how the color white works. Mm -hmm. If you do a really dark color, like a black or a gray, which will, which by default, we always do dark gray or black as our default color. Sure. Um, or if they have no preference, it's always black or gray. And that's because it's going to add to that, that perceived look. It's going to look a little bit better for them. Yeah. The parts are going to function exactly the same. Sure. Um, but you know, the black parts with the really small layer, you know, layer height is going to look way better and have fewer noticeable layer lines. Um, so that's how we combat that. 
Um, but really, it's like expectation setting, you know, just letting showing people samples, um, getting them to understand that, you know, this is this is where it's at. And yeah, there's tons of benefits. And actually, the quality, what you'll learn, consumer, is as you sell your product, what you think and what your customer thinks are two two totally different things, right? Oh yeah. Your customer, your customer doesn't even, you know, your customer wants it to work. Your customer buys something because it solves a problem, not because it, you know, it was injection molded. Right. Uh, so I, th I think it's twofold. It's a little, it's mostly just kind of perception and people being used to what they're used to. Yeah. Um, and in a, in a couple of years, that'll all go away as more and more products will be made with additive manufacturing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think definitely think we're going to start to see a lot more consumer products out there in the world, you know, in people's homes, um, around, you know, out in stores. Um, I see people posting on LinkedIn about, you know, oh, I, I see a mannequin that's, that's 3D printed. Um, you know, the, the people that are in the industry, like we are, you know, we pick these things out uh, uh, wherever we go, if we do see something like that. But I don't know, there's, there's this little bit of wow factor, I think, uh, for me, and what I try to convey to some people who don't understand 3D printing yet is that uh, there might be that wow factor into their consumer part to say like, oh, you know, this, this is a marketing uh, aspect of, oh, this is 3D printed, um, you know, so for like 3D printed shoes, um, you know, having that little bit of wow factor, it, I think, yeah. adds something different for a few different consumer level products, um, mm -hmm. you know, that people want to say, oh, I've got something that's 3D printed, um, you know, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, oh yeah, I've got this awesome thing that's injection molded, you know, like it's not, never. It's, it doesn't have any kind of wow factor around it. You know, they can't, I mean, there's again, things that we can 3d prints that can't be injection molded because of those design features. So um, I'm, I'm right, I'm right with you. I think we're going to see a lot more consumer products out there that people are going to yeah. get desensitized to the layer lines. And um, I mean, honestly, with the, the layer lines, it's like, it's a, it's a short term problem that won't even really be a problem for some of these people mm -hmm. that like, oh, I need it. I need it to be smooth. Well, you know, what are those conceptions about why you need it to be smooth? You know, or is there anything functional about it needing to be smooth that I can mm -hmm. understand? However, you know, the person sitting out on the beach using your product isn't going to be, you know, caring about whether something's 3D printed or not, they're at the beach and they're having fun. Like, you know, not, yeah. not exactly something that uh, is is necessarily a, a problem in the real world when we're talking about consumer products. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, I think there's different grades too, right? Like the shoes, the shoes blow my mind. Um, that that is a hundred percent right. Like additive manufacturing shoes, that's that's cool, right? That's that's a sexy thing. Um, yeah. I remember when it when it first came out, I was like, dang, where do I get a pair? How do I buy a pair for my whole team? Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. So yeah, yeah. I agree, hundred percent. Oh, it's uh, it's interesting though. You know, when we talk about starts getting into more consumer level products and these printers being so very accessible to people now, right? That we can buy $300 or less um, very functional printers, right? Um, so, you know, I kind of segueing into what you and I talked about uh, just before the podcast started here, um, something that I've, I've uh, you know, just come into uh, understanding the nuances of this, but 
So 3D printing firearms, we'll just, we'll just get into it, right? No matter what your standpoint is on- Always the topic of conversation. Firearms. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's something that I'm like, I get fired up about because um, I, I completely understand, you know, having the right to bear arms and, and having that creativity and making something for yourself, right? Um, but yeah, I wanted to bring this up on the podcast too, because I think it's super relevant to, you know, what, what we're doing in the 3D printing industry, um, specifically here in New York state, right? So uh, just a little bit of background, you know, there, there are people who are out there printing, you know, the lower section of, of some firearms, um, you know, not exactly some of those metal components that actually make up the firearm, right? Um, and, you know, with this kind of consumer, um, you know, easy playing field for buying a 3D printer from a company like, like yours or mine, uh, that's, that's very easy for someone to do, right? And they, they could be using that printer for a number of different reasons, right? Uh, maybe not mm -hmm. just trying to print uh, the lowers of firearms. And the reason they're doing that is so that they... Anything have a, you know, yeah, right. They're going to print anything. And these people who have any kind of design experience are, are tinkerers as well. You know, they're printing other things, but they're trying to do it from my viewpoint of, you know, wanting to customize some aspects of the firearm. Um, you know, the, the people that really put time into figuring out how to print lowers, um, those people I think are more of the, you know, firearm enthusiasts wanting to customize something that they're actually going to be using later right mm -hmm. uh, you know not dissimilar to any of some of the consumer products that you and i are, are printing you know trying to customize something for someone who's going to be putting out a product of their own um but this is you know pretty readily available to people um and and you know unfortunately there are there have been some negative events around it where people are going to gun buyback programs and they're printing you know part of these guns and assembling them getting the the upper uh portions online because these assemblies are readily available um, and I, I don't know specifically, I'd have to research this a little bit more, but if there's a need for a background check for the uppers of, of a handgun, let's say, um, yeah. that I don't know, um, probably different state to state, obviously, but, um, what's, what's concerning and why I'm bringing this up. And I know that you've got some thoughts on this as well, um, is because they're in New York state for us. Um, so for our listeners here, as of October 13th, there is a bill uh, being proposed right now um, that would, I'm going to directly quote here from the bill. Um, so it would be in relation to criminal history background checks for the purchase of three-dimensional printers capable of creating firearms. Um, so it would, it's the sale of certain three-dimensional printers, any retailer of a three-dimensional printer sold in this state, so New York state, which is capable of printing a firearm or any components of a firearm is required and authorized to request and receive criminal history information concerning such purchaser from the Division of Criminal Justice Services in accordance with the provisions of Section 845B. Uh, and some other government level talk here. 
So, you know, getting into a national criminal history record check. So to me, what that means is, you know, I've got a, a local person here to me who is a grandmother who wants to buy her grandson for Christmas a 3D printer, right? Because he's a he's a techie kid and she wants to get him something that's that's cool and new, right? So in order for her to like be able to teach him, um, you know, she bought a 3D printer herself because she thought, you know, this is really neat. I want to print some cool stuff, uh, maybe print out some Christmas ornaments for them or something. So, you know, this bill would effectively, you know, people like her who in no way is ever going to like think of printing any part of a firearm, right? Um, they would be subject to a criminal history background check, which, you know, is only going to delay that actual sale of the printer. And then, you know, some people might look at that and say, well, maybe this isn't even worth the hassle of a $300 or $150 printer um, that I don't even know if, uh, if and when this is going to be approved. Um, you know, I think it's just going to bog down the entire system as well. Um, so with that, like, you know, introduction to that, what are some of your thoughts initially? Yeah, I think initially, um, twofold. I'm not a person that personally cares if I get background checked for something, but I understand people that do. Um, but like, when you're looking at the impact that 3D printing has on the world, right? Um, and just kind of the chain effect that goes with this, you buy, you know, granny isn't out here trying to build AKs for her, her grandson, right? She wants to buy it to promote STEM education and promote their personal growth, development, and interests within science, engineering, whatever, right? right. So that's why they're buying it, right? So they want to tinker, it's cool, but they're they're gaining all these skills along the way. And by kind of putting a any type of friction in between that um it's just going to have such a big impact long term, like 3D printing is so accessible to kids and giving them access and giving their brains just different opportunities to to make things and create new stuff and find problems to build a product around. And uh, I think that is going to have significant positive implications in the world, right? It's going to develop more kids to do more great things in the world for people. And by putting any type of friction between that accessibility is uh definitely a decreaser um and to me after you know reading the bill it's it's pretty vague i mean it's extremely vague right now right it's very very general us being in the industry we know that there's tons of different types of 3d printers um there has to be a line somewhere like you know you were talking about a little bit the process right um, we should be maybe looking at the process of it, how people are getting these files or making these files, or how do we track that? Um, or, you know, there needs to be a line between the types of printers because you're right. You can't like Amazon sells printers, right? How is exactly. Amazon going to then allow to get a background check? So, you know, 13 year old, you know, Michael can go get a little ender um, to play right. around with. Right. Um, yeah. It's, that's, so it's, there's like, what is capable? What what does capable mean? Right. So any any 3D printer is capable, right? Exactly. Right. You know, it says, uh, you know, capable of printing a firearm. First of all, I don't know that any anything is capable of printing an entire firearm. Right. The the yeah. firing components and and all of that. Even a company that I know of um, in the MJF you know, uh, powder bed fusion, uh, that actually has a license to print 
firearms. Um, you know, that's that's a whole nother story. Um, but they still have to have other components added to it for this thing to even fire, right? So, right. Yeah. you know, with the, to me again, like I'm, I'm kind of in a, agreement with you that like it's not so much about the getting a criminal history background check for me. That's in itself, I think that's just going to be a detriment to the entire process. But, um, you know, especially for schools as well, I mean, it's like it's just going to, you know, look at the wrong problem right because it isn't even the actual problem it's just the end result of what happens um but these people who are you know sharing around files for um you know lowers that they've printed for handguns and you know the ease of accessibility online of of buying an assembly for the rest of the gun i think that's a much bigger uh, problem to worry about um for you know people who are who are thinking about trying to uh, prohibit the sale of a 3D printer to 13-year-old Johnny over here. Like, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, what is, what is a company like Amazon or what is a educational institution going to do if they purchase a printer? Do you have to have every student that wants to use that printer background check then? Uh, or do you only have one person who is capable of printing at the educational institution? Like, you know, it's just, for me, it's just so far uh, out in left field about like what the actual problem is. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And that just, it's, um, that's definition of how government works. Right. You know, it's, and, and you can see it since, um, with the whole Facebook scandal, right? Like yeah. watching Mark Zuckerberg do these court trials when he's just talking, you know, software to them and they don't have, they have zero clue on how the internet even works and how ads right. work. And like, you know, it's, it's, people with very zero to no experience um just see oh people are 3d printing guns let's ban 3d printers yeah um and then that's just like the, the quick thing to jump through but i think what's gonna what needs to happen is one luckily it's just proposed um this bill won't pass as it is um just as it is i'm i'm so certain just that that won't pass as it is it might go through some revisions and that's an opportunity for people like us and other additive manufacturing professionals in the industry to meet with our local, um, you know, government and and talk to them and give them some clarification. Really try to work right. with them on understanding, understanding the bill, um, and then some of the nuances and and see how you know if it's serious, um, you know, how we can revise it in a way that's going to work for everybody. Actually, allow them to achieve the goal, but allow, um, you know. 3D printing to continue inspiring, you know, future inventors and innovators in the world. Right. Um, right. So it's going to be some work. Luckily, nothing gets passed tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. we'll and we'll see. But geez, yeah, what a what a shock to to hear this morning. Like, okay, well, that's going to yeah. be another fun little fun little hiccup to jump through. Well, it's just <laughs> like, as of as of 13 days ago. So you know, still super new. Um, I actually mentioned it to a an assembly man, you know, here locally in the capital region yesterday in person, and he didn't even know about the bill. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's, again, probably hundreds of bills that are that are in session right now being proposed. But um, it's just interesting to me, again, not being involved in any type of political sense, really. Um, like, how does this even get to the, the bill stage before someone, like, wouldn't those people go to people like you and me, hopefully? hopefully yeah. think and say hey do you think this is a good idea or not like was there any <laughs> kind of you know advice given 
into you know thinking of, of proposing something like this because um, you know I'm, I'm glad that it's gotten so much press already. There's been a couple of articles written on it, um, you know, and that's that's the way I found out about it just a few days ago. Um, was I saw you know I think probably some post on on LinkedIn um, about it, and then that led me to an article, and then a couple other articles about it. So. Um, yeah, definitely just, I mean, trying to raise this educational bar about what FDM 3D printing is or any type of 3D printing to educate people about what can and should be 3D printed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to mention like the huge safety aspects with, you know, trying to print any part of a firearm. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, just had to go on that that little bit of a uh, a rant there because it's just it's something that being here in New York State is you know if if anything close to that would be passed it would directly affect you know our business and uh, you know trying to help you know those people in you know government to see you know how we view this type of bill and what our suggestions might be for trying to help combat some of the you know, poor things that are actually being done with the, with this process. So. uh, Yeah. And that, that's exactly what needs to happen. Um, The, the good, the upside of 3d printing is too high to limit it in any way um, for silly, stupid people trying to make silly things that hurt people with. Right. So yeah, (laughs) we got it. Yeah. We figure that, figure out what that line is and a hundred percent. Yeah. So it's going to be something of, uh, you know, something of conversation here, I'm sure, over the next uh, 30 days. And uh, we'll see if we can get in front of any of our other, um, you know, local state representatives to um, try to educate them. So um, 100%. Hope, hope our listeners here um, do get educated about this. If you're in New York State, um, you know, this bill is... Uh, a8132. Um, if you're in New York State and you're in the 3D printing industry, uh, please look at it. Please talk to your local representatives about your viewpoints on this, whether you agree with John and I or not. Um, you know, I just think it's something that definitely needs to be talked about and uh, understood a little bit more from from all viewpoints. But um, yeah, I mean, getting back to a little bit more, you know, lighthearted, uh, conversation here with like consumer level printing, right. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I talked about at the innovation summit, um, how, how do we keep all of our printers busy all the time? Right. Um, you know, I'm super excited to try to come up with some of these more, um, consumer level, uh, products. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have a million ideas a day, like we do about like, oh, this would be cool. that would be cool. Um, you know, can you, can you share any of your, your personal ideas or your team's ideas about, you know, what could be a cool 3d printed consumer level product? Uh, all day we think about 3d printed consumer level products. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, you know, I don't know when you have the power to make something yourself, it's like any opportunity to, uh, do something like that um remember when the chicken nugget like dipping sauce like vent vent thing was a was popular do you remember that that was a couple no of years i'm ago. gonna have to look this up and pull up a Dude. picture of it here 
later. <laughs> huge, huge 3D printed consumer good products. So I think of things like that all the time. It was cool. So it was pretty much just like a tray that you clip into your your vent in your car yeah. and oh, you can put your cool. dipping sauce in it. That's great. So it's just, awesome. Yeah, you know, like stuff like that I think about all the time. Uh, we do this promotional product, this little fidget spinner tchotchke. Nice. Um, I always think about I always think about ways that that could be marketed to gear towards different consumers and sold um, a lot of like brain games. You know, 3D printing is so good for these um, movable, functional, like puzzle type of things. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. there's so many on Thingiverse. So if somebody came up with with their own one of those, um, you know, that could get some really good traffic. Sure. Um, you know, there's consumer goods is where the fun of 3d printing is you know i, I love selling b2b because that's what pays the bills but like mm-hmm. jigs and fixtures and things versus uh you know nugget dipping sauce cups like yeah that just sounds way more <laughs> exciting to me so right. um yeah always kind of thinking of of products um not going to disclose any because who knows maybe one day we do end up take one to market you know who knows sure. but um, it's just the power of it um yeah. You no, know, it's a really funny one that I get I get pretty frequently is a lot of food items. Um custom cookie cutters, yeah. um burrito, burrito trays and like nacho trays that are different shaped cups and things okay. for your, your salsas. Um nice. a lot of food items, which yeah. is interesting because you actually, you know, FDM's never gonna get certified by the FDA because of the complications and like the layer lines and they don't like how the bacteria can stay in the little layer lines and it's like you really got to scrub it out so sure. um food and 3d printing isn't you know it's it's fine but know that you have to clean these suckers really well sure. um, we actually use a a copper filled material for this it's an antimicrobial material okay um for any type of these food items because at least it you know at least it'll kill bacteria that's on the any viruses that's on the part Sure. Have you guys used yeah. any polypropylene with uh, with printing anything for food? Because that can be you know uh, have not. put in the put in the uh, dishwasher. Um, so I I feel comfortable with that. You know whether or not we yeah. can go through the FDA to print out um, you know a a set of lightweight right. backpacking camping gear. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I like to backpack and camp, and I. You know, earlier uh, this year, I was out camping for a couple nights with my wife, and you know, I turn over my cup, uh, one one of those that can like you know just squeeze into this little tiny um, pot, right? You got like a set of two of everything in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I turn it over and I look at it, and it's got the PP you know recycle symbol on it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. well, you know, polypropylene. There you go. Why right. aren't creating more consumer level products with polypropylene, 3D printing them? Um, and, and then recycling it as well, because polypro can be recycled. So, right. And polypropylene is a beautiful material. Yeah. I love how it looks, how it feels. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. I guess I never thought about using it for, for food safe products, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's if it's awesome. already being used, you know, for, for that kind yeah. of, um, you know, I don't see why not. So we are the, uh, North American distributor of PP print, um, you know, their polypropylene material uh, coming out of Germany. And that's what they solely focus on as a filament company is, is polypropylene. So I think that's pretty, pretty unique uh, in that they can like be hyper-focused on getting it really, really right. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been super impressed with their polypro, very easy to print. 
Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be it, you know, there's definitely some warping issues of polypropylene um, in general, because the material shrinks as it cools. And, you know, that mm -hmm. never going to get around that unless you blend it with something else. Um, but pure polypro, having that, you know, little bit of warping, we've been able to, um, you know, mitigate that warping a little bit by using build tax sheets, and then build tax polypro bond adhesive. Um, you know, that's worked extremely well. Um, PP print also does have their own, um, rubber surface that I have to imagine has polypropylene, you know, chemical yeah, built in it nature. Um, it's, it definitely works. There's now a, a permanently bonded plate solution, which works a lot better than just hmm. the, the sheet itself with a double sided adhesive. Um, you know, it definitely sticks to it super well and mitigates practically any warping, um, you know, so for being able to reproduce parts on the same build plate without having to add any adhesives or clean it off, um, you know, really nice solution, but um, still does need to be cleaned uh, after 10 or so prints. And if any, like, you know, dust accumulates, then it won't actually stick very well. Um, they have their own cleaner for it. Uh, although it's extremely caustic. So I've been working with them to try to dull that down just a little bit. Um, mm. But yeah, Polypro, man, I'm I'm definitely a, a huge fan of Polypro. Yeah. We make a lot of our prosthetic sockets out of Polypropylene. Um, and PP Print just came out with their carbon fiber Polypro. Which um, you gave me a kilogram of at the conference. I much appreciate that. That's sitting there waiting for a printer to get freed up to print something good with. Nice. Uh, what should I print? What should be the first good test print with it? Um, well, you know, so all of their PP print products just got skin certification. Um, so all of the, including the carbon fiber are you know, certified for skin safe applications. So again, whether something is coming into contact with the human body um, externally, um, or if you're looking to do something, you know, consumer based for, um, you know, that, that needs a little bit of flexibility, um, but the carbon fiber still adds that stiffness to it. Um, and I've seen, it's just a, a super nice black matte surface finish. Um, mm. so, you know, structurally, mm. I think it's there and it hides layer lines incredibly well. So, um, yeah, I would definitely put Love it that. if you need something, you know, maybe just a little bit stiffer, but might still have some flexibility to it for the carbon fiber polypro specifically. Sick. Yeah, I have some. I have some needs. I have some needs within the shop right now. We just got we just moved to the new location, so we got the the walls getting painted. They're tearing oh. out pipes and stuff. But yeah, I could use some really strong like brackets and things just to keep stuff up out of the way. And sure, um, that's the best part, right? Never, never have to go to Home Depot again. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. You're 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 right. I mean, I. Well, and that's the beauty of it too, right? So I've got some pretty big printers, um, you know, Film Innovations, can't say enough good things about that. Um, soon to have one of their larger machines, the the Icarus. Um, so that'll definitely put us into that like very high flow, large volume printing. Um, mm -hmm. So that'll be exciting coming up here soon. Um, but, you know, the other day I needed a couple garbage cans for the for the office. So I printed them in the um, Phil Innovations Kratos here 
out of black PLA in a matter of two hours in vase mode. And it's the perfect, you know, perfect little trash can. Um, That's awesome. And uh, again, like those little things that you need around the office. Um, I needed a couple uh, door hangers for like my coat and other things. So, you know, print stuff instead of, you know, immediately thinking about going to the hardware store. Um, uh-huh. We've come up with this uh, 3D printed floating shelf as well um, that mm-hmm. in, in two pieces printed on both of these printers, you know, one part printed on each. Um, they both print in under about under six hours. Um, I think it's might be under like five and a half even printed out of the PLA again. Uh, but it's this floating shelf that has this wall mount uh, bracket that you screw into at least one stud um, and, and three separate screw sections and then can just slide right on. Um, so oh, cool. Pretty sleek. And uh, yeah, thinking about those different, um, you know, consumer level products, I think is where more of these, um, you know, conceptions about what can be printed uh, and in high volume is definitely going to change here um, over the next, you know, couple years. But yeah, I mean, for for what you and I are doing, you know, I, I think what you're doing over there at, at NSEC is awesome and trying cool. Same to, to you. Yeah, man. Um, you know, need more collaboration like this. Um, you know, that's definitely where I think uh, the 3D printing in- industry in general is going to help, you know, flourish um, as as an industry is working together more in terms of education, getting consumers educated, getting, um, you know, people who want to prototype, getting them educated about what can and how we should print things and design things to be printed with different, you know, printing processes, but um, yeah, just super thankful for your, uh, you know, input today and, uh, you know, in general for, um, you know, what's going on out in Buffalo. Um, You know, if I kind of travel back out that way here soon, definitely want to check out what you guys got going on. Uh, Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah, Yeah, man. Um, Yeah. Anything else that you want, you know, the listeners here to know about Intersec or uh, to think about for, you know, for 3D printing consumer products. Yeah, that's my biggest thing. It's just like, keep thinking big, right? Keep challenging the status quo. Keep thinking, keep finding problems that you can create on and use 3D printing as the the engagement piece um, for yourself, for your your family, your, you know, whoever it is, you know, just, just dabbling and, and having the ability to create anything really changes the trajectory of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, buy a 3d printer hopefully you can do it before you need to get background checked um and you can add me on linkedin innosec.com john capel on linkedin um check out the in the game pod on youtube um on any meta product on john.capel k-a-p-p-e-l so connect with me there for sure man we'll put uh some of those links there in the in the show notes here as well um, thanks again for taking the time i appreciate it and uh you Thank know we're just some stuff that we can work on together man Let's do it. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening again. Happy printing and thanks for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. It was a really interesting podcast there with with John from Inisec. Honestly, we we covered a lot from um, consumer products that could be 3D printed and into your home uh, very shortly here. Um, you know, there are definitely quite a few products that uh, we're already looking at commercializing Um, With some of the fun stuff that we come up with from day to day that you heard John and I talk about a little bit. 
Um, John has a, a wealth of knowledge for design for additive manufacturing. If you're looking for um, that type of service for his um, you know, fleet of 50 printers, uh, FDM-based, uh, definitely reach out to John. Reach out to him and I. Uh, I'm going to start doing a little bit of work together. So it should be interesting how we can collaborate on that. Sounds like he's got a pretty solid team. So um, definitely looking forward to working out, working with him. Um, you know, the the comments we had um, and the conversation that I spurred about 3D printed firearms um, is something, honestly, that I'm I'm kind of passionate about just because I think that, um, you know, not that I'm a gun enthusiast by any means. However, you know, I know that um, people should have their right to bear arms and, um, you know, there's there's definitely the right way to go about that and the wrong way to go about that. Um, you know, so for the people who are, you know, just grabbing files off the internet, grabbing these other assemblies for the uppers um, that are the actual components that make up the, the firing aspects of the gun, um, I think we really need to educate our local um, government in, in New York State here and, and the rest of the country to um, what should actually be targeted when we're talking about 3D printing firearms and all of a sudden slapping on a, a bill that says, oh, well, we'll just target the 3D printers in general and that's going to be good enough. Um, it's not good enough, really. Um, and it's actually going to hinder a lot of other things for a lot of other people that are using 3D printers for, for wonderful applications, you know, namely being the educational space um, for, for stirring you know, STEM education within schools and other institutions. So um, if you have any questions about that, feel free to follow up with me, um, email joe at ascentfab.com um, or give us a call here at AscentFab and we'd be happy to chat with you about um, you know, some of our, our viewpoints on that and exactly how we could potentially you know, um, stop that file sharing from going on as well as you know, the sale of the, the upper parts. That's really what should be you know, background checked and a little bit more regulated in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so getting back into you know, the Fabrication Friday approach, um, thank you very much again for listening to this week's episode. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next week uh, with the Victoria Hand Project coming on. So that'll be a fun one as well. Um, thank you very much again, guys, and happy printing.